The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks and uh, Taylor Hard Money Advisors. That's, uh, my company is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, Chen, uh, with regard to Chen's newsletter, he is not at this moment taking new subscribers. Uh, at the beginning of the next quarter, or I guess the first few days of April, he will be taking uh, a few new subscribers based on the attrition rate of the past uh, quarter. Uh, if you feel that you would like to subscribe to his excellent newsletter, you do need to put your name on a waiting list, and that uh, you can do by going to miningstocks.com. Just go to www.miningstocks.com to put your name on the waiting list. You can, however, sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and um, there you uh, can also do that by going to miningstocks.com. I might just mention that uh, probably the second best way to uh, to know something about what Chen is doing is to uh, subscribe to my newsletter because I do have a fair number, well, a few of Chen's, um, Chen's favorite picks uh, I cover as well in my newsletter and uh, and comment frequently on those as well. I would also uh, like you to remind you that probably the best website to go to to follow everything that I do is jtaylormedia. That's J-A-Y taylormedia.com and you can follow me on Twitter under the handle jtaylormedia jtaylormedia well, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, Miranda Gold, uh, Precipitate Gold Corp., and Renaissance Gold. Today's show, uh, we're going to... We're going to be. I'm, I'm talking to you from the Pan Pacific Hotel in Vancouver, um, where we've just completed a two-day Cambridge House conference here in Vancouver. Today, our main guest will be Peter Schiff, and more specifically, I should say that my engineer will be playing a speech given by Peter at the Mises Circle event that took place back on September 24th in New York. 
Uh, that was one day after Mr. Bernanke announced uh, QE Infinite, uh, that is the endless printing of money, which many, including Peter Schiff, believes will end in the total destruction of the dollar and very possibly hyperinflation. But financial devastation isn't the only problem that will come with uh, this Keynesian policies that are leading our nation into poverty. What will also come, uh, and what is in fact increasingly uh, common um, with poverty that, that results from Keynesian economics, will be a growing level of, uh, of government tyranny that will follow, I believe, almost certainly uh, from uh, leading from growing lawlessness that results from Im- increased impoverishment. Uh, this, I hope, is not true, but this is what I, I think is most likely to take place. And in fact, there's signs, certainly with respect to the uh, curtailment of our freedoms and our liberties, that's very much underway. Uh, no doubt about that uh, at this point in time in our history. Uh, and with that, uh, though, with increased impoverishment, I would uh, would suspect we will see more um, more difficulties and probably more lawlessness, and with that, uh, even more of our freedoms and liberties taken from us. Of course, uh, as I say, those rights are, are already being eroded. Uh, President Obama, Obama has decided that he has the right to take the lives of American citizens without a trial if, uh, if uh, someone in his administration believes and he believes that they are terrorists. So I don't know what's happened to our uh, right of habeas corpus, but apparently that is being eroded away. And of course, we are losing our rights all the time, our property rights, either through direct uh, theft, uh, taxation, or through a more pernicious and more hidden form of theft, namely inflation, in which the uh, the wealth of the nation, the wealth of our nation, is being transferred from those who produce, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, people that actually do things that are for our own good are not getting their fair share. That is being siphoned off uh, through printing press money, and the people that get first dibs on that, that would be the bankers uh, and the military-industrial complex, and of course our government, which continues to grow uh, and we are at that point in time where Ian McAvee likes to say uh, we are at the point in time where as many people are voting for a living as are working for a living, and that is a very dangerous situation, I believe, for a nation to enter into, but we certainly appear to be there now with the demographics growing the way they are. It won't be long before there are more voters than, than um, producers in this country. Uh, in just a few minutes after a first break, we're supposed to have Jeff Berwick join me. Uh, he writes a newsletter uh, called The Dollar Vigilante, and uh, he he lives in Mexico, but he travels around the world, and uh, Jeff, in fact, is here in Vancouver. Um, not quite sure if we're going to get through to him or not because I've not been able to make contact with him, but I'm hoping we do. And uh, I'm going to ask him about an article that he wrote and passed on to his uh, to his subscribers earlier today in which he talked about uh, the irony of, Ob- of an Obama inauguration on the day of Martin Luther King. So uh, we're going to ask Jeff to comment on that. Then in the second hour of today's show, um, after we have heard from, uh, from our main guest, uh, we're going to be talking to Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. He will be with me to discuss some of the very serious uh, questions that have come about um, uh, with respect to the Germans demanding their gold. Why is it that the Germans are only able to get one-fifth of their gold back and then only over quite a few years? I, I don't remember if it's five, six, or seven years uh, that we cannot deliver the gold more quickly than that is raising some eyebrows and, of course, is causing the gold antitrust action folks to say, see there, we told you, 
the gold probably isn't there and cannot be delivered, and that's why they have to take their time to buy it or to get it back off the market. So this is uh, this should be very interesting, uh, a very interesting discussion uh, with Chris Powell in the second hour of of today's show. Now, um, just a few comments with respect to um, uh, with respect to some of our sponsors. I like to talk about our sponsors because I think they're uh, some of these companies are going to be uh, are likely to be very very strong performers. Uh, Brazil Resources, Amira Nani, the CEO of that company, will be with me next week to talk about what he has going in Brazil with his company, and he's done a remarkable job already, in my view. Uh, Brazil Resources has acquired some properties. They have a very strong financing, which I think is probably the most important thing when you're looking at junior exploration companies. Can they raise money, and can they do that without... Uh, diluting their shareholders uh, from here to kingdom come. Brazil Resources, I believe, can do that. Uh, Amir has done a remarkable job before with uranium energy, which he's talked to us about on this show. Uh, He has, uh, as I say, very strong financial backing in Brazil, a financial institution that is the largest shareholder. Uh, And he's made a couple of good acquisitions already in in Brazil, and I think he's well on his way towards establishing uh, a viable uh, gold mining company, uh, just as he has with his uranium energy. Dollar twenty-eight today. The, the shares were trading at uh, forty-one point three million shares outstanding. Cer- certainly, one of my favorite stocks has been Dynacor Gold Mines, and they're trading uh, on the Toronto Venture Exchange under DNG. You can buy it as I have in the United States under the symbol DNGDF. Dollar fifty-nine, thirty-five point eight million shares outstanding. What I really like so much about this company is its ability to. Uh, produce uh, produce gold uh, and keep its shareholder uh, its number of shares down to 35.8 million, and it is growing its profits and its gold production very nicely. Should produce upwards to about 100,000 ounces this year or or into next year on an annual basis. They'll be at that level and continuous growth uh, for the foreseeable future with a possible moonshot with. Uh, some success on their uh, Tumi Pampa project, which has uh, it's a scarn and porphyry deposit that looks like uh, well, it certainly has some early showings that are very very encouraging, and it is in a geological area that is very prospective with major copper and gold mines all around it. So, uh, Dynacor looks like a steady growth stock uh, with its current business uh, uh, business in place. Uh, and it could be a moonshot uh, if they uh, if they're fortunate enough to do very well uh, with their um, uh, with their Tumi Papa exploration. And I am told that we're expecting some very significant news, potentially some very significant news this week sometime. So I will no doubt be commenting on Dynacor in my weekly newsletter that comes out at the end of this week. Eurasian Resources is certainly a very well. It is my top pick when it comes to the project generators and Eurasian Resources. EMX in Toronto, EMXX in the United States, trades on the New York Exchange, $2.10, 71 million shares outstanding, lots of cash on the balance sheet. Uh, but this is a company that has a good has cash flows coming in from a royalty in, uh, in Nevada, but it also has major uh, gold, copper, and other targets around the world, primarily gold and copper, precious metals and, and copper targets uh, around the world, and these are major deposits or major uh, prospects, huge um, uh, potential because um, that's why large major companies are spending very considerable amounts of money to explore and develop those projects. So if we hit something big there, I think Eurasian, uh, Eurasian Minerals should be 
our Eurasian resources should do extremely well. And this is a company that has uh, certainly, uh, as I say, has lots of cash uh, and uh, uh, lots of projects. So one of the aspects about project generators is not only that they, sure, they give up a percentage of their property, but the other aspect is that they have lots of different properties uh, to explore. And so the uh, the odds are that one one or more of them can come in big. Uh, Golden Arrow is a, a newer entry uh, as, a, as a sponsor. It's a company that I met with here in Vancouver a couple of days back. Um, and uh, they have the Chinchillas target in Argentina that's a silver lead zinc prospect. looks very promising, some very early good results. And Golden Arrow has a large number of properties, I think something like 30, well over 30 properties, uh, that it will be mostly uh, mostly bending out to other countries companies and in fact uh, with the exact with the exception of the chinchillas it's basically acting more like a project generator and that i like very much because it's uh, one uh, particular copper target and looks like it could be very significant some good early results with a major copper uh, company is uh, is working on that so uh, golden arrow selling at 28 cents 41.8 million shares outstanding uh, you can buy it in toronto under the symbol grg and um, you can also buy it um, uh, over-the-counter uh, under the symbol G-A-R-W-F. Miranda Gold is another project generator with some uh, in Arizona some copper targets and in uh, Alaska some gold targets. And there they also have some major companies spending major bucks to learn to earn in uh, to those projects, uh, selling at 24 cents, 73.9 million shares outstanding. So obviously, a very low market cap. And Renaissance Gold is but another uh, another project generator. Uh, it is selling. Um, uh, at 66 cents this morning, uh, when I looked at it, uh, REN is the symbol. Uh, FGLF is the symbol to buy it in the United States over the counter. 30.7 million shares. Uh, so obviously, it is also a fairly low capital uh, uh, cap X uh, cap company. Uh, the company uh, just announced uh, its Trinity uh, Silver project does have a 43101 resource of over 36 million ounces of silver. So it is a company. Uh, I think they have mostly, well, they're mostly focused in Nevada, uh, but they have excellent uh, opportunities there as well as some in Spain and uh, also in Argentina and other project generators. And as I've said many times, project generators are among my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite kinds of companies because uh, in this particular environment, it's very, very difficult to raise capital. So uh, we are going to go to our first commercial break here in just a few seconds. Uh, my engineer is telling me he has not been able to get in ho- get a hold of Jeff Berwick, so we may, we may not have Jeff, but I do have uh, more ideas to pass along to you with respect to investing in the junior mining sector and also some thoughts about the global economy and uh, and and what things may uh, how things may be playing out at the moment. So don't go away. We'll be uh, right back after our commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? 
A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we were hoping to have Jeff Berwick with us. Jeff was on the show last week, and uh, no doubt we'll have him on from time to time. Uh, he is a young fellow that's had a remarkable background um, in the IT sector, and then when it blew up with the IT uh, collapse uh, at the turn of the century, Jeff went off on his own and uh, sort of toured, toured the world and learned a lot about how the real world works and became a real libertarian, a real free market advocate. So he's always interesting to have uh, have on the show, from my perspective at least, And uh, but he's apparently a miscommunication here in Vancouver and uh, uh, we have not been able to get in touch with him so far, but I have some things that I would like to share with you uh, as well uh, today. Now we're looking at a market that looks like it's mostly green on the screen today. And uh, I am uh, uh, quite, uh, quite, bel- quite optimistic, uh, at least mildly optimistic, about the junior resource sector at the start of this year. I uh, don't think that there's anything like a healing of our global economy. In fact, I think quite the opposite is true. But at the same time, uh, it is the money that is being pumped into the system by QE Infinite that is starting out now. It just started in January. You realize it's just uh, not as if, well, Mr. Bernanke has been talking about QE Infinite since the middle of September. Uh, and he did have his Operation Twist in which he basically, uh, or as Peter Schiff calls it, Operation Screw, in which he basically just took the, um, you know, uh, he, he went out and bought, sold short end of the yield curve and went out and bought longer-term treasuries. That was to push or to suppress the price, the um, interest rates on long-term 
on the long-term end of the yield curve in order to try to support the housing market. So the housing market is being interfered with. Um, the interest rates are being interfered with. And as, uh, as one person said uh, recently, that something like 80% of America's savings is in the hands of 55-year-olds. And so what you're doing is taking away uh, the income from those savings from 55-year-olds uh, and people that are older on retirement that cannot uh, cannot work any longer or don't you know or, or weren't planning to work and we're planning to use some sort of investment income pension funds and the like that have been planning on uh, are planning and and promising what they'd be able to pay on the basis of certain assumed interest rates far above anything that we have now and so uh, but this is completely consistent with Keynesian economics Keynes had a disdain. Uh, for the rentier, the the person that was saving money and was able to use those savings to get more wealthy, and uh, and so Keynes saw the destruction of wealth in that way as quite all right. Keynes also didn't see apparently the the virtue of uh, of capital being stored and used in a, in a way that makes sense and uh, in a way that the market dictates. Keynes seemed to believe that you could dig a hole in the ground and fill it back up with dirt, and it would be just as useful as somebody building uh, building an aircraft or something. I mean, I don't understand the logic of that, but that's Keynesian economics, and of course, come in, and um, the government was was to go in, and when the uh, free market economy started to sputter or started to go down, then the government was to create uh, jobs, even if they were jobs that nobody wanted or nobody needed was okay. It was it was good. And so this is the flawed logic that we've been operating on, our policymakers have been lo- operating on for increasingly for decades. And certainly since the Great Depression uh, of the 30s, this is what's come in into play. And it has all seemed to work very, very good for a long time. Whenever we would have downturns, um, you know, and, and people were saying that maybe there's no more business recessions and no more recessions at all because we're uh, we've we've figured it all out. Well, clearly that's not true anymore. We've had uh, the worst depression uh, recession since the Great Depression with the Lehman Brothers failure, and we saw prices prices asset prices and all prices plummet for a very short period of time before they started printing money uh, at a pace never before seen, certainly in the United States. So now it looks to me, uh, you know, the big question in my mind always is, as an investor and as a newsletter writer looking at junior mining stocks up here in Canada, the question in my mind always is, which way are we going to go? Uh, because how does, you know, how does this, how does this pathology get get worked out? And are we going to see some sort of hyperinflation, like many of my Austrian friends uh, and gold bug friends believe, because the Federal Reserve is printing huge amounts of money and pumping it into the system, destroying the currency, or trying to at least? Or are we going to see something on a deflationary side that would see a collapse in prices and uh, what um, you know, Peter Schiff and others believe we should see, uh, and that is something that's more akin to, um, to a cleansing of the system uh, by paying for the sins of the past, in other words, a Great Depression that would wipe off the debt, uh, uh, the debtors, and, and take those debts off the books so that we could start to grow the economy uh, more quickly uh, um, and you know, on a thorough or a sound footing again, rather than the sort of bubble economy that we've come to find more and more common. In fact, the policies uh, following Keynesian economics has been more to engage in bubble economics 
I would call what we have is bubble economics. We have, um, you know, you had the Asian bubble that was created to a great extent and the Russian problem there too that was created to a great extent because of the post-1987 crash when Greenspan pumped huge amounts of money into the economy. And then you had the dot-com crash in, in 2000. Uh, and then to try to fix that crash, we uh, Greenspan pumped huge amounts of money in, and that created the housing, uh, the housing bubble. And then we had that crash, which was the granddaddy of all crashes since the 1930s. And we are now, uh, they are now trying to repair that bubble by creating another bubble. And the bubble that I think the biggest bubble of all is the bond bubble. That's the bubble that is being uh, created by uh, by complete artificial means of pumping huge amounts of money operation twist i just mentioned a minute ago to manipulate the yield curve to take to make short end of the yield curve a little higher and to push down the long end of the yield curve and this is causing all kinds of malinvestment in the uh, in the us economy and indeed in the global economy and these are not things that can be fixed by more of the same i mean it's these are the you know if you don't understand and it seems as though uh, Keynesian economists don't understand or don't want to understand that the real reason for these uh, for these problems is not free market economics, but definitely much more likely, uh, certainly, I would say not likely, but certainly the cause uh, is the uh, enormous amount of money that's been pumped into the system and, of course, government spending, which takes away the market's prerogatives, the prerogatives, uh, uh, the free prerogatives that each of us have uh, to uh, to allocate our resources uh, the way we feel that they're best for us to maximize uh, the usefulness of our, of our work and our savings uh, and the fruits of our labor. But, of course, that is inconsistent with the kind of, well, let's say that free market economics is consistent with freedom and liberties, but what we're being given now is exactly the opposite. So we are being, the choices that we are given uh, to um, to apply the fruits of our labor uh, are being taken away from us and are being handed over to a totalitarian government or one that is increasingly totalitarian. So that's what we've that's that's what we've got going for us. And uh, in a few minutes, uh, Peter, uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking to our main guest today, Peter Schiff, and uh, Peter will certainly uh, talk uh, for uh, the rest of this hour about uh, about what is going on and how the economy is being destroyed by. Uh, by manipulation, by Keynesian economics, by Mr. Bernanke, uh, and um, and he'll also come back uh, a little bit for the in the second hour too to talk to us about. Uh, well, he'll be pass. We'll be playing his speech from September 24th. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes left in this segment yet, but I would like to just pass along uh, one of the things that I watch, as I mentioned, is the inflation deflation watch. This is something that I have put together uh, myself, and it has to do with a whole uh, gamut of, of of asset prices around the world to try to determine whether or not the global economy is expanding and it is, is not so much the economy, but the prices are expanding or inflating. Because clearly what we've seen since uh, QE1 was put into place, we've not seen anything like normal economic growth. But we have seen an explosion in asset prices, which has turned around then to take more away from the middle class because the middle class... Uh, the food and energy uh, prices are much more important to the middle class than they are to the, to the super rich that are being bailed out through the banks. Uh, but one of the things I'd like to pass on to you, and it seems very clear to me, and I did have this updated just this morning, is uh, what I, my inflation deflation watch. And it looks to me, it is very clear to me, in fact, 
that we're in the process of breaking out well above uh, this downtrend and that we could now be seeing something, uh, an explosion to the upside. And this is one of the reasons that I have turned quite optimistic uh, about the junior gold shares. Well, we do have to go to break, and when we come back, Peter Schiff uh, will talk to you about Keynesian economics and what's going on now uh, in the U.S. economy. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Schiff. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Our next speaker is Mr. Peter Schiff. Peter is head of CEO and founder of Euro Pacific Capital, author of a number of important books, The Real Crash, most recently. I think all of us who are interested in these kinds of ideas still thrill to the YouTubes we used to see of Peter, uh, although they didn't know it, taking down the entire financial establishment and showing them exactly where they were wrong. They laughed at him. Of course, they didn't, they didn't keep laughing. Uh, now he's got his own radio talk show, so he's a star of both YouTubes and radio. And uh, it's a great honor to have as our speaker today, Peter Schiff. He's going to talk about the fiscal cliff, cliff how to spot the ledge. Mr. Peter Schiff. You know, 
I, I think we just went over it. So, you know, not, not that I actually ever prepare my talks in advance or write anything up, but if I did, I would have had to completely rewrite it just based on the events of yesterday. So that's pretty much what I'm going to talk about. Uh, you know, what happened yesterday and more importantly, what's going to happen tomorrow as a result of what happened yesterday. And of course, you know, you, if you, if you listen to the media reports of what Ben Bernanke did, it's a bold new plan. I mean, you know, I mean, there's nothing bold about it. And there's nothing new about it. I mean, we, we've had this plan before. We've seen it fail time after time after time. But politicians always resort to it because ultimately the decision to destroy your currency is a political one. Um, ben Bernanke knows that if he does the right thing, uh, we're going to have a horrific recession. After all, that's what we need uh, to correct the imbalances that have been built up in the U.S. economy as a result of the exact same policy that he is now uh, upping the ante on. You know, when, when they first announced QE2, I was out there on television arguing that, well, that means we're going to get QE3. And I, for a while I was saying uh, we're going to have more QEs than Rocky movies, although... <laughs> That's a prediction that I'm now wrong about, right? Because this QE is open-ended, so it's going to never end. So this is the last QE. It won't end until there's a crisis. Although I was laughing earlier today, I found out that Paul Krugman came out and said it's not big enough. <laughs> it's open-ended. I mean, what does he want? QE for eternity? Maybe beyond the grave? Ben Bernanke promises to keep interest rates at zero? Although maybe he was, maybe he was referring to the fact that he, they're only going to buy $40 billion a month of mortgages, although that's probably the floor. I'm sure the Fed might end up buying more than that. Um, but this, this, this plan, you know, when, yeah, now I remember what I was saying. So when I was going on these shows, I said, look, we're gonna, this means we're gonna have QE3. And a lot of economists, you know, in quotes would disagree with me. And they would say, no, 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 we're not. This is the last QE. You know, the economy doesn't need any more. And I would say, well, it didn't need this dose either, but that didn't stop Ben Bernanke from administering it. And the reason that I knew that QE3 was coming was because I knew QE2 wouldn't work. And so what else would the Fed do when their last experiment didn't work? Just repeat it. That's all they could do. Whenever something doesn't work, do it again. Maybe do it bigger and hope for a different result, which I, I've heard is the definition of insanity, which I guess is, is appropriate here. Because I knew that rather than fixing the economy or curing the disease, that the QE would, would make it worse. Because what is the Q uh, quantitative easing? What is the goal of it? The goal of it is to get Americans to spend more money, borrow more money and spend it. Well, that was the problem. We borrowed all this money, we're broke, and now we have a recession because we have to rebuild our savings. We need savings so we can have capital investment, so we can produce things, so we can create productive jobs. We have to transition the economy. But QE was designed to prevent that process from happening. So I knew that we could never have a recession as long as the Fed was resisting the only cure. We had to rebalance the economy before it could grow. We had to repair the foundation before we can try to, you know, erect a building or a structure there. So I knew that the QE was going to interfere with the process. And so I knew that we were going to get QE3. And of course, it took a while. The Fed, you know, 
delayed it as long as it could, and in the middle they came up with this Operation Twist, right? And now, you know, I've been describing the new operation as Operation Screw. <laughs> uh, because basically what the Fed is saying, if you've got dollars, you're screwed. You know, if you've got a savings account, if you've got bonds, if you work for wages, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. And, you know, the, what, are the, what are the most amazing things, and there's so many amazing things in Ben Bernanke's press conference and, and, uh, and the Fed statement, but one of the things is, why is Ben Bernanke doing QE3? What, what is his goal, right? And basically what happened is these, these geniuses at the Federal Reserve all got together and they said, we need a plan to revive the economy. And then I don't know who, who, who probably got it. I got one. I got a great idea. All right, what is it? Here's the idea. We're going to print up a bunch of money and we're going to lend it out to Americans at ultra low interest rates so that they can buy houses and that we can build more houses. And then if we buy houses, prices will go up and people will feel rich and they'll be able to extract the equity and spend it on consumer goods. And then as real estate prices go up, investors are going to want to buy. Speculators are going to want to buy because they're going to want to get rich on real estate. And then rising real estate prices, there's going to create all kinds of consumer demand. And we're going to be able to spend lots of money and we're going to have a recovery. That was their plan. Didn't anyone say, wait a minute, we just did that. That was our last plan. Doesn't anyone remember the housing bubble and the financial crisis of 2008? They deliberately want to reflate a housing bubble, which I thought, number one, is interesting because it's kind of an admission that they're to blame for the last one because they basically said we want to use artificially low interest rates to stimulate housing, to make housing prices go up, to make people feel richer so they'll spend money they don't have. That's what happened the last time. I mean, did they not even remember that they really want to do it all over again? But, you know, Ben Bernanke kind of let the cat out of the bag in that press conference because he basically said the Fed has one tool, right? We can we can buy up financial assets. We can print money. That's our tool, right? They have one tool, and they're going to use it even if it doesn't work because it's the only tool that they got, right? All they have is this hammer, and they're going to smash everything in sight even though nothing is a nail, right? But that's they've got this big hammer, and, you know, they said, look, the Fed is, we can't just do nothing, right? We can't just sit back. Unemployment is so high, we've got to print this money. Now, the Fed's plan, right, to, to, to inflate a housing bubble, the good news is it's not going to work, right? Because you never can reflate the same bubble twice in a row, right? I mean, there's so many holes in that bubble. The air ain't going to stay there, right? Where is all this money going to go uh, that the Fed is creating? It's going to go into real things. It's going to go into oil. It's going to go into gold, commodities. It's going to fund this big government bubble. The government is spending all this money. But it's not going to make real estate prices go up. It's not even going to bring down mortgage rates. In fact, QE3 sunk the minute they launched it. Look at long-term interest rates. We've had one of the biggest declines in bond prices today. And they were down yesterday. So the yield on the 10-year is now over 3%, which, of course, is still much too low. I mean, you'd have to be a complete moron to loan the U.S. Treasury money for 30 years at 3%. But those rates are going up. So how is he going to get lower rates? I, what I'm thinking that the Fed must be hoping is that Americans are actually dumb enough to do exactly what the U.S. Treasury has already done. You know, their own operation twist. I think what Ben Bernanke is hoping is that Americans will refinance their fixed rate mortgages to an adjustable rate. 
Because that's the only way they're going to bring down their payments. And maybe that's why Ben Bernanke says, don't worry, we're going to keep rates at zero to till 2015. In fact, even if the economy recovers, we're still going to keep them at zero. Right. So what he's trying to do probably is create a sense of confidence so that people are comfortable enough giving up their 30 year fixed rate mortgage at four and a half to take a one year arm. Right. Because that's the only way they're going to get more purchasing power. But here's the other problem, too, because, well, number one, once the government's got everybody hooked on arms, how are they going to raise interest rates? That's a you know, that, that makes the problem even worse. Uh, but also everybody talks about the positive impact of falling mortgage rates as if that's the only side of the equation, as if the borrower is the only one that counts. What about the lender? There are two sides of a mortgage. What's good for the borrower has to be a lousy deal for the lender. See, every time you can refinance your mortgage to a lower rate, the guy on the other end of the deal, his income stream is suppressed. Of course, those are banks, insurance companies, pension funds. So you're, just, you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. The economy doesn't benefit uh, from falling mortgage rates. Debtors benefit at the expense of creditors, but that actually undermines the economy. And, of course, you're undermining the most important part of the economy. And, of course, you, you, you create this predicament, which is the predicament that the Federal Reserve is now in, and that nobody seems to want to acknowledge this, is that the Fed is stuck. Why doesn't the Fed raise interest rates? Because they can't. Now, they should, but they can't because of the immediate economic implosion that would result from an increase in interest rates. Because we can't afford to pay. The U.S. government has a $16 trillion debt. I mean, that's the, the tip of the iceberg, but that's the funded debt. We have it financed with Treasury bills. A third of it probably matures in the next year. That's $6 trillion. I mean, obviously, we can't come up with the money. Um, and, and our plan is that we won't have to because when the bonds mature, we're just going to borrow them, uh, borrow the money, probably from the same people who loaned it to us, right? It's, it's the Bernie Madoff plan. That's what we got. And, of course, it's, it's, it's not going to work out any better uh, than his plan. And it's, I thought it was funny, too, that Bernie Madoff actually described what the U.S. government was doing as a Ponzi scheme. And then the people said, well, don't listen to him. He doesn't have any credibility. I said, well, on Ponzi schemes, he does. He, ought to, he knows one when he sees one. It's the only place he's got them. But so what's going to happen when interest rates go up? How, we get, how can we possibly pay? What if we have a trillion dollar interest payment on the national debt? That's, that's half our tax revenue. I mean, where are we going to get that money? You know, and what happens to the banks when interest rates go up? You know, people say that, oh, the banks aren't loaning any money out. Sure they are. They're loaning it to the government. Right? They're buying all the treasuries. Right? That's where the government's getting this money. So banks are lending. They're just lending to the government. And they own all this long-term paper with low yields. What happens when interest rates go up? Well, they're going to fail. And what happens to the housing market? Ben Bernanke wants real estate prices to go up even more. They're already overpriced still. They haven't fully deflated. How could you say that America, we need higher real estate prices? America's broke. People don't have any money for down payments. Real estate prices have to come down. Not, we don't want them to go up. The only reason they're not going down is because the government is basically underwriting all the mortgages. In fact, now, not only is the government going to guarantee all the mortgages, it's going to hold the paper. 
Basically, we now have an economy that consists of the U.S. government basically printing money, right, and giving it to people to buy houses. I mean, that's it. I mean, the whole mortgage market, and this is supposed to be capitalism? And somehow, you know, when the whole thing implodes, they're going to look to blame it on, on the free market? I mean, how can anybody believe that this is the way an economy needs to be organized. But this is the trajectory that we're on, because if they let interest rates go up, then we're going to have this horrific recession. We'll have the recession that we didn't have in 2008. We'll have the recession that we didn't have in, in 2001, or the, the one we didn't have in 1994, or whatever the last one was, or 1987. I mean, every time the markets tried to correct, from the malinvestments that resulted from cheap money, all we got was more cheap money, so we'd have bigger malinvestments, so we could paper it over and keep on kicking the can down the road. Well, the problem is, eventually, you know, you run out of road, and I think we are at that point. In fact, I think one of the circumstances that bought us some time uh, was the developing crisis in Europe. In fact, when I was making my forecasts, about the U.S. economy, I didn't take that into consideration. I mean, sometimes you can't think of everything. And things will happen that you didn't necessarily forecast. I've always been skeptical of the euro, uh, but I always thought that the dollar would, would meet its demise before the euro. And I still believe that. But for a while, people began to question the euro. And, and so as a result of that, that kind of bought some time for the U.S. because it really enabled us to go much deeper into debt because the fear of the eurozone and the euro created a lot of buying as a safe haven for for dollars right and of course the dollar was perceived as a safe haven even though it wasn't i mean it's ridiculous that if you are afraid of debt right and you're afraid of all the debt of europe that the solution would be to buy dollars when we've got even more debt than they do and we're even less likely to pay, but it's almost like just a reflexive action. In fact, it's so reflexive, if you can remember, when S&P downgraded U.S. Treasuries from AAA to AA+, and of course, they didn't downgrade them enough, and now, by, by the way, Moody's is now threatening to, to downgrade as well. But remember, when we got the initial downgrade, there was such a fear in the market as a result of the downgrading of U.S. Treasuries that investors panicked, and as a safe haven, they bought U.S. Treasuries. They bought the very paper that was downgraded because they were afraid of the downgrade. That shows you how it's just all Pavlovian. It's just, the perception is that the dollar is safe. The perception is that the Treasury is safe. But when people realize that that's not true, that all we can do is print money, in fact, one of the reasons that people were buying dollars and not, you know, worried about the euro because they were worried about Greece or they were worried about uh, Italy or Portugal or Spain or Ireland. They would always say, well, you know, Greece can't print money. That's the problem. As if that's the solution, that we can print money. In fact, I think that we're in worse shape because we can print money. You know, we, we rely on it like a crutch. But the bottom line is default, you know, default is default. I mean, you have different forms of it, but it, 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 the result is the same. If you have debt that you can't pay, and we have debt that we can't pay, I said the only reason that we can pretend that we can afford it is because we can service it. 
And we can only service it because rates are so low and because the people who own the paper are lending us the money to pay the interest. So the whole thing is an illusion, but eventually the illusion pierces. You know, the Greeks were having no problem a few years ago selling their paper, even though anybody with a brain could see that they were broke and that there's no way that they were good for the money. But nobody cared, you know, until all of a sudden they cared. Well, this is the tipping point now because what's happened is... Europe has put a band-aid on this crisis. The wealthier nations in Europe, for right or wrong, have decided to put a lot of their muscle uh, behind uh, the euro to make sure that it doesn't collapse and to keep these weaker peripheral nations in the euro and to loan them money. I think it was a mistake. I think a better solution would have been to allow bankruptcies and force governments to restructure. I don't think that anybody would have left the euro. I think it would have been better uh, to stay in the euro and just not have all the debt, and it would have been better for the future of the euro and the eurozone and the bond markets, because I think it's important that creditors perceive risk in sovereign debt, because otherwise governments have no limit to what they can borrow. If at least the lenders know that if governments borrow too much money, they're not going to pay you back, well, then there's going to be a limit on how much governments can borrow because interest rates will provide the discipline. We don't have that discipline in the U.S. In fact, I know I keep uh, switching gears, but you know, in Ben Bernanke's press conference, he actually had the, the nerve to say that he thought his policy that he just announced, this Operation Screw, he said that it's actually going to produce smaller deficits. Now, how is that possible? The Fed is going to keep interest rates at zero so that that makes it cheaper for the government to borrow. Isn't that going to make bigger deficits? After all, if it's cheaper for the government to borrow, wouldn't they borrow more? Wouldn't the best way to have smaller deficits be to stop buying government bonds, to stop printing money, and to let interest rates go up? And then the government couldn't afford to borrow. They'd have no choice. The deficits would stop. The reason the deficits are growing out of control is because Ben Bernanke enables it. He finances it. He makes it possible. The politicians don't have to make any tough choices because Ben Bernanke gives them an easy way out. But what Ben Bernanke said as well, this policy is going to lead to great economic growth and that's going to ultimately reduce the deficits. So he thinks because we're going to get all this economic growth, we're going to have smaller deficits. We're not. We're not going to have any economic growth. You can't grow an economy by printing money. How could you do that? I mean, I mean, if it was that simple, right, which economies would be the fastest growing? All you have to do is run money off a printing press, right? I mean, people keep saying the problem in America, and I laugh, I had a debate on like China TV just last night with this guy, and he said the problem in America is there's not enough demand. I said, are you kidding me? Not enough demand? I mean, we bought everything in sight. You know, we're broke because of all this demand. I mean, demand is infinite. We, we buy too much. How, it's not a shortage of demand, it's a shortage of supply. We're not producing stuff. You know, how, you, you know, we need more production. We don't need more spending. I mean, we spent ourselves into bankruptcy. But what I was talking about before I digress into all these tangents was, um, <laughs> now, now, now I lost my, oh yeah, I was talking about Europe. So anyway, so now that at least temporarily, the pressure is off the euro. There is no fear right now that the euro is about to implode, that nations are about to leave the euro. For a while, people were like, well, I got, I got uh, French francs. Am I going to have francs? 
Am I, I mean, I have euros. Am I going to end up with French francs? Am I going to have Deutschmarks? Am I going to have drachma? People were afraid to keep their money in the bank. I don't want to keep my money in an Italian bank because if the euro breaks up, I don't want lira. I want to pull my money out. I want my money in a German bank or I want bunds. I don't, I know there was a lot of uncertainty. And, and some, and some people were so uncertain. It's like, I don't want any of this stuff. And they just bought dollars and they bought, they bought treasuries. That's one of the reasons the Fed was able to do Operation Twist as they're selling their short-term paper to buy up the long-term paper. There were buyers there because they were looking for that safe haven. But now that that's gone, well, why does anybody want to do- buy dollars? Who's going to buy dollars now? Everybody's trying to get rid of dollars. The dollar is dropping. It's dropped below key support. Gold prices are surging. Oil prices are surging. Even the euro. Now the euro's up at 131 against the dollar. You know, a month ago people were talking about parity with the dollar and, you know, it was down around 120. Now it's 131 and rising rapidly. Global stock markets have turned around. Why would anybody want to own dollars? And our trade deficit, we just got our trade deficit, I think, last week, and it surged uh, to a multi-year high. We're still running a trade deficit of over $500 billion a year. I guess that was possible when people wanted to hold those dollars because they thought there was some kind of safe haven there. But now that they don't need the dollars as a safe haven, what do they need them for? What are they going to buy with them? Are they really going to buy treasuries at such low yields? I mean, for a while, they didn't care about the return. They just wanted to buy something that they thought was safe. All they cared about was getting their money back. They didn't care that they got no yield. But now there's no reason. And if you look at our open-ended commitment to print money, people know, look, how could you hold on to the dollar? So we're going to see this big drop now in the dollar. And I've been looking for this for a while. And again, something always happens, uh, you know, to, to postpone it. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, you, sometimes you never know what you don't know. Could something happen? I mean, is it possible that aliens from another Another planet can somehow descend on Earth and uh, Ben Bernanke will convince them to buy our bonds. I don't know. It's not that likely. <laughs> but, you know, you never something ha- can happen to, to, to add to the chain letter or the Ponzi scheme. But I don't know. I, I think we've reached the end of our line. Right. The Fed is all in on this policy. There's nothing left. Interest rates are at zero. Right? They're printing money to try to reflate this housing bubble. I know it won't work. Prices are already rising. So what I think is going to happen is now you're going to start to see the weakness of the dollar. That's going to immediately translate into higher prices for commodities, for food, uh, for energy. And so it's the exact opposite. Ben Bernanke believed that his policy would, would give Americans purchasing power by reducing their mortgage payments or by creating new home equity for them to tap into, that the wealth effect was going to make Americans more likely to spend. I think the effect of his policy is going to be to drain purchasing power from Americans because it's going to cause the cost of living to rise. And if Americans are spending more money on food, they're spending more money on gasoline, they're having to spend more money on insurance. After all, insurance companies have to really raise their rates because they're not getting a return on their portfolios and bonds. And of course, you know, all the costs of raw materials, if your house burns down, if you gotta, you know, rebuild it, it's gonna be very expensive because of the, the cost of the raw materials. So insurance rates are gonna be going up, healthcare costs are going up, um, you know, education costs, I mean, all these prices are rising, and, and so there's, the consumer is gonna have less discretionary income, not more. In addition, I think that the higher inflation and the preservation of these imbalances is going to lead to greater levels of unemployment, more people leaving the labor force. You see, 
we have to create certain types of jobs. We have to create jobs in the productive part of our economy, and this monetary policy is making that less likely. And we're still losing the jobs in the service sector, but we're not going to gain the jobs in the other sectors until the government changes monetary policy. So I know that we can't restructure. And in fact, any of the jobs that we are gaining, I mean, the last uh, jobs numbers we had that precipitated uh, this, this announcement or gave, gave the Fed the excuse to do what it was going to do anyway, we got, we created 90,000 jobs, but only we, we lost 10,000 manufacturing jobs. So we created some consumers, but we just, we did, we, we destroyed producers. The people that got those service sector jobs, they're just going to spend their money on imports. They're going to run up the trade deficit. They're going to widen the economic imbalances. And of course, I think four times as many Americans actually threw in the towel and left the labor force as found jobs. So now all these people are now living off the welfare state. They're collecting, uh, you know, disability payments from Social Security, uh, which is really, you know, uh, unemployment in disguise, and they're also no longer paying into the system. So I think we're close to this end game. So as the dollar goes down and and uh, prices start to rise, eventually it's going to show up in the CPI. You know, and of course by the time it does, you know, you, 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 the consumer is feeling the pain at the gas station, at the supermarket, much more than what you would get from the CPI. But then again, the party's over. The Fed can only maintain these 0% interest rates, so long as it can claim there's no inflation. Now, how it can claim it now is beyond me, but at some point it will be impossible for Ben Bernanke to stand up there in front of an audience and say there's no inflation. And then what is he going to do? What is he going to do about the inflation? Now, I think initially he might try to say, well, a little inflation is a good thing because at least it means that we dodged a bullet on deflation. And that might work, you know, to a point you know, in fact, initially, I believe that as interest rates rise, they're going to say, well, it's a good thing that they're rising because it shows confidence that we're going to have a recovery. Even though the recovery was based on interest rates going down, they're not going to bother to think about that. But they'll just look at interest rates going up as a positive sign. They might even look at the weak dollar as a positive sign. Yeah, it's going to help our exports as if a weakening dollar has ever helped our exports. I mean, we have record trade deficits. But, you know, eventually, you know, they'll, they'll say it's a good thing. But then pretty soon it's, it's too much of a good thing. And when it goes from a dollar decline to a dollar crisis, when does the bond market go from a decline to a crisis? I think it happens very quickly. I think all of a sudden you, we wake up one morning and the dollar's down by 10% overnight or 15%. It's a huge move. I mean, maybe it's going like this. It's going down like this. And then all of a sudden it just falls off a cliff. Because it has to happen. Eventually, people have to throw in the towel. What about all the central banks around the world that are trying to peg their currencies to the dollar? You know, we're asking them to really, you know, double down on that bet right now. Because if we're going to print all this money and give it to Americans to buy imports, what is China going to do with all the money when they get it? Right? They're going to have to. They're going to have to print up RMB and buy up all those dollars. They're going to have to, you know, increase their inflation. We're basically asking the whole world to take a lot more inflation so that we can delay, you know, restructuring our economy. Well, at some point, they're not going to want to do that anymore. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. 
The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals.